0: Lord God, Heavenly Father, as we once again come before you, we simply cry out to you, Hosanna. Save us, please. For we need your love and your grace and your mercy each and every day. We also come before you with rejoicing because you have answered our cries of Hosanna and you have saved us through your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. So now, as you read these words of John, may we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the very Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name, in Jesus' name. Okay, so uh, John chapter 2, this is important, is that John chapter 2 happens right after John chapter 1. So don't forget that as you read this, this isn't a brand new story. This is still tied to the things we've been reading about, okay? So the, so the gospel narrative, the story of the gospel itself begins with John the Baptist and people coming to John saying, are you the Messiah, right? That's how it starts. And we, we talked about how John is a reliable testimony, a reliable witness to the gospel because he denies that he's the Christ and points to Jesus as the Christ. And the disciples of John then become disciples of Jesus and those disciples attract more disciples, right? We just got done reading all of that and they come to Jesus, come and see. So this story continues in that. It's not a brand new idea. We got to kind of keep that in mind, even though it's a a change of page for you in the Bible or a different chapter. Um, Remember these stories be read together. So so we're going to work on that um, as well as seeing some other tie-ins. So any questions from last week or any other week that you've been wanting to ask? Everyone's just eating donuts, which, you know, that's good. That's good. Okay, well, let's go ahead and read the text. Let's read John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, the whole story.
1: On the third day, there Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some water out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants would draw the water new, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves a good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him.
0: Thank you very much. Okay, like I said, very familiar story. Um, we've heard it. We've, we read it in church. We talk about it. We make stuff up about it sometimes. Okay, so number one, what is the focus of the story? Yeah, it's the miracle. So he does what? Water and wine. But what's the point? Why is Jesus why is John telling us this story about Jesus? It's the first of his signs, right? Yes, good. It's the first of his signs. So go to John chapter twenty. John chapter twenty, the last the second to last chapter of the gospel. Verse thirty. John thirty or John twenty verses thirty and thirty one. I'm gonna just keep saying these verses until you memorize them. Okay, John twenty verses thirty and thirty one. Okay, so there, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book, but the signs that are recorded in this book are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, by believing you have life in his name. So, why is this sign in the Gospel of John? Right, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. Okay? So, don't forget that as you read this, that this is not a story about other things. This is a story that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the point. This story is to identify Jesus as the Christ, right? Which, remember... That's the, Old Test- that's the word Messiah in the Old Testament. And the Son of God. Okay? And we'll see what that means as we go through the book. Um, the irony is in the Gospel of John, he's literally a, the Son of God. Meaning, he's God. Right? Other people think it might mean other things, but he literally is the Son of God. In the Old Testament, just, just, just real quick, this is an aside. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, Son of God is actually a prophet, okay? Son of God is a prophet or an angel, okay? And son of man is also a prophet. So the, the prophet Ezekiel is often referred to as the son of man, okay, or the son of God. And what, what happens is that this, this phrase, son of God, in the Synoptic Gospel, we also always call the son of man, these phrases actually point to Jesus' natures, okay? He is literally has a divine nature. He's actually God in the flesh. And in the Synoptic Gospels, when he says Son of Man, he actually is a human being. Does that make
1: sense?
0: They, they are symbolic terms, but they're also revealing who he truly is, okay? So we're learning how Christ is, that Jesus is the Christ, And he is the Son of God. Now don't forget, go back, it's really the Luther Study Bible makes this really hard to do because there's a whole page between them. But if you go back to the previous verse, or previous three verses, I guess you would say. Go back to 49, 149. Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are. The king of Israel. And remember, king of Israel is one of the things the Messiah is going to be. Remember we talked about this last week? That the Messiah is the anointed king of Israel. So when when Nathanael says to Jesus, you are the, the king of Israel, you are the son of God, this is exactly the point of the gospel. That you may believe with Nathanael who Jesus is. So this miracle is going to continue to show us how how Jesus is who he claims to be. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. How are we going to see this in this miracle? Does that make sense? So that's the point of the story. Susan. I
1: have a question.
0: Yeah. During the end of 31. <clears throat> that by believing you may have life in his ministry. Yeah. Why is this Well. Okay. This is a, this is one of them translational issues, okay? May does not mean it it might not happen. May simply means the reality of the future possibilities, okay? It it's like hmm. There, there, it's really hard to translate results because in most languages, even in the Amer- in English, but we don't we don't realize this. Future is always uncertain. The future is always uncertain in language. If you look at linguistics, future tenses are always one of the tenses of uncertainty, right? There are different ways to say uncertainty in in language. One is, eh, it might happen, right? And the other way is, the the future tense is always a tense of uncertainty. (laughs) It's just one of the uncertain tenses, okay? The past tense is a tense of certainty it happened right so in the future we say it will happen or it may happen that there actually isn't a difference as far as whether or not it's going to happen it's just is preserving the future idea of we'll see what happens next but in this case may does not mean might may or may not it simply means that the result of believing is that you will have life but it's it's a future movement and therefore the Greek preserves the uncertainty of the future. It's just the way the language works. And so they translate it that way, which is kind of weird sometimes. You'll actually see this throughout the scriptures, is that if they, if they translate reflecting the Greek tenses of the verbs, we'll get some weird English phrases that we think, what? But it doesn't mean may is in, you might not. It just means may is in that it's the future. So basically, it just means future. It doesn't mean uncertain future, it just means future. That kind of like hope. Yeah. We hope. We hope in the resurrection. It's going to happen.
1: Kind of like permission?
0: Permission? No, that's that's actually a different that's a totally different idea. Um, it's the same English word but not the same in Greek.
1: In the time of, of Christ, what was Baptism. Was it washing?
0: baptism at the time of jesus was a ceremonial washing that accomplished a couple of different things there were actually ceremonial washings of the old testament law so if you're unclean there were ceremonial washings and those washings were considered baptisms because baptism is simply the application of water to something okay but there were also baptisms meaning uh, conversion into the, the judaism so proselytes, non-Jews who wanted to become Jews, actually went through a ceremonial baptism to become part of the Jewish nation. That was part of their proselyte movement. So, so is there any time here between
1: the water which is used for ceremonial washing? Yes. And wine?
0: Yes. Lots of times. As a matter of fact, well, it, we'll get there eventually. Maybe not. Um, the, the stone water jars, these things held you know, like 20 to 30 gallons, which is enough water for you to get into actually. These were actually large enough that you could almost physically get into them. And they, they probably, um, there's a lot with, with the description of these jars. First of all, stone is impervious to things getting into it and making it unclean. So if you had stone jars, they were never unclean. They could just remain, even if it touched unclean things, the stone jar would become clean, would stay clean because nothing could penetrate it. Whereas an earthen vessel, if, if something unclean touched it, you had to break the vessel and it was unclean, you could just throw it away. So stone water jars were extremely um, important for ceremonial cleansing water. They also were a sign of wealth. Um, to have this many this big at someone's house, dude, that's, that's expensive. It's also piety. So they had this much water available for ceremonial washings. Which so what would happen if you had these stone water jars with, with twenty gallons of water in it and something you have is unclean, you would actually dip it into the water to make it clean. So it would baptize it. Right? And so we get this actually in the gospels where where Jesus says, Will you baptize your cups and your kettles and your utensils and your couches Well they would actually do that. They would dip it into water to cleanse it. To make it clean. Right to, to to physically wash away dirt, but also to ceremonially wash away uncleanness. So that that was the point of these stone water jars, is they were there for cer- ceremonial washings. Where,
1: where okay. was the wedding taking place? Because to in Cana, but to have in Galilee. I mean, think about those six stone jars were not or containers. They were not moved around. Right. So,
0: so if, it's at, if it's at a private residence, which it probably was, that's a lot. it was at a very large, it was a mansion that would have this, this many large, jo- that's what I'm saying, this was a sign of wealth, abundant wealth to have. So <laughs> it, probably, it, it doesn't say it's at a synagogue, it doesn't have any implication of being anywhere but someone's house, okay? Um, but remember, a house could be a whole compound, not like just. The building of the house—it could be the entire courtyard, and I mean, this is big enough to hold a feast. So it's probably not just their physical dwelling; it's their compound in which they would have these jars for purification. Um, you, can, you can look this stuff up on on um, the Google machine. There, you just type stuff in. You can look up the the archaeological evidence of these courtyards and the, these kind of compounds that people lived in where the, the house would be kind of in the middle and they'd have even other houses around inside of a, a gated area and that'd be someone's house. So a lot of this is going to happen outside.
1: Is there a parallel meaning to this story where the wine the that runs out is the profits and the wine Yeah,
0: stop. Not yet. Okay we got to get there. We're not even in number two. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. We're going we're gonna to look at this whole... Um, well, we might not get there now. But it's okay. So one of the main things of the story is that if Jesus is the Christ, if he is the coming Messiah, then what this actually means is we're done. The Old Testament is over. The period of the prophets is now over. The Messiah is here. Okay? And I know you guys think I'm always crazy in this. And I am. That's okay. Go to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. We studied this. So you guys who took Hebrews, you guys have memorized probably. But Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, all the way to the end of the New Testament, right? After Paul's letters, then you start with Hebrews. Okay? So it's way to the end of the New Testament. In the Lutheran study Bible, it's 2105. Hebrews chapter one and verses one and two. This is this is such an amazing verse. You kind of gotta memorize it or at least know it. Hebrews one verses one and two. There, we actually have this in some of our liturgies. Okay, so if you get, if you get to go to daily chapel services or do some of the off hours, this is preserved in the liturgy. Okay, so Hebrews one verses one and two. And this is actually answering your question, by the way. It's not just making stuff up. Okay, so let's read that. Somebody read that for us.
1: In the past, God spoke to our forefathers, the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe.
0: Okay, so do you see what the author of the Hebrews is saying? Is that the prophets were the way God spoke to us. Valid. They were valid, right? They actually listened to God and spoke for God up until the coming of Christ. Now that's over. Now we listen to Jesus. Right? So that that old time is over. That doesn't mean it was bad. It's just, it's over. It served its purpose. It got us to Jesus. Now that Jesus has come, he's the Messiah. He's God in the flesh. Listen to him. Right? That's what the Father says of the baptism. This is my beloved son. Listen to him prophets did their job of leading us to him, but now that he's here, he's the one you listen to. So yeah, in a lot of ways, the, the Jewish purification rites are over. This is the beginning of a new age. Okay? This is actually the beginning of the age of the Messiah. This is the Messianic age. And the question is, what age are we living? we're still in the messianic age, which will last until he comes again. again. And we will be with him in the eternal kingdom of his father, right? That's the next age. But until he comes back, we're still living in this messianic age where the death and resurrection of Jesus is what rules us. That's who we are, right? And we anticipate our Messiah... Coming back. Does that make sense? <whistles> exactly. <laughs> so, number two, who is present at this wedding? The disciples. Mary. Well, no, not Mary. Who is there? Let's make a list. The disciples. Whose disciples? Who's disciples? Ah, they're Jesus' disciples. Uh-oh, that's a shift. Whose disciples did they used to be? John. John's disciples. See, the disciples have already made a transition. They're not John's disciples anymore. Now they're his disciples, Jesus' disciples. So we've, we've, they've learned from John chapter 1. Good. Who else is there? The mother of Jesus. The mother of Jesus. Good. We're not going to name her because John doesn't Ever. Her name is never spoken in this gospel. She is never named. She is only referred to as the mother of Jesus. She does not get a name. That's important. She also only shows up twice in the entire gospel. Twice. This is one of the places. Okay, who else is there? Servants. Servants? Servants of whom? The wedding. Um, Yeah, of the bridegroom. Who else?
1: Master of this feast.
0: Okay, the master of ceremonies, right? The MC. The bride and groom. We kind of should say this guy because we didn't mention him yet. Jesus is there. The
1: the no. Nope. Bride, groom.
0: The groom is there. Who's not there? Bride. There's no bride. This is important. There's no bride ever in this story. Something's very wrong here. There's no bride. We have a wedding with a groom, but no bride. Do you have any idea where we're going to find a bride in the Gospel of John? She might be an adulterous bride by the time we find her. She might have five husbands. And the one she's with now isn't her husband. No, good try. Woman at the well. Woman at the well. Good. Remember we talked about this? How, how wells signify marriages in the Bible? So now we have a wedding with no bride. And then in chapter 4, we're going to have a woman in need of a good husband. At well. At a well, which is where Betrothal will take place. And guess what's mentioned after the story of woman at the well? The only other mentioned in the entire Bible of Cana in Galilee. Going back to this story. Okay? So what we see is that John chapters 2 through 4 form a unit. Okay? And it's about marriage in two and marriage in four now, here's the question. Whenever you've got this kind of a unit, you've got to look and see what's in the middle. What's in the middle of 2 and 4? 3. Do you guys know any verses from John chapter 3? Have you ever heard of any verse in John chapter 3? Right? See, what are we saying here? That, this, that we are looking for a bridegroom and a bride. In the Old Testament, the bridegroom is always Yahweh. And the bride is always Israel. Now we have a new bridegroom and therefore we will have a new bride. Okay? That's the story. That's the overall story. Even in John chapter 3, John the Baptist talks about being a friend of the bridegroom. A really confusing passage. But John the Baptist actually says he's the friend of the bridegroom so he's rejoicing because the bridegroom is here. Well, the bridegroom is Jesus. So then chapter 4 we've got to find him a bride. Okay? So that's a very important thing to note.
1: Just because the bride's not mentioned in, in the story doesn't mean she's not there, right? Because the guests aren't specifically...
0: Married. Right, exactly. But my point is John is telling the story in such a way that someone's missing. He does not mention her. Just like the, the name of the mother of Jesus is not mentioned. that doesn't mean he doesn't have one. It means that John is consciously not using it. This is the way John writes. This is literally how he writes his gospel. Is He, he leaves you hanging with things that are missing, and then he'll fill it in a couple chapters later. You're like, oh, there's, there's someone who completes the story. Okay? So, yeah, I mean, obviously there actually is a bride of the wedding. Otherwise, there's no wedding. But John doesn't tell us the story with the bride included. We're looking for the bride. If you read the story, you're like, there's, well, the, where's the bride? Where's the wedding? We're at a wedding feast, and there's actually no wedding. There's no mention of a bride. There's no mention of marriage. It's just a wedding feast. It's kind of weird.
1: Who is this master?
0: Nobody has any idea. Yeah. His name is Joe. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. It's it's this weird term. He's the guy that he was like the best man. He would have been in charge of the of the wedding re- reception, or so. It's probably John the Baptist if you want to say it's anybody as part of a character. He owns weddings or Yeah, he's he's the guy in charge of like, making sure the bridegroom is taken care of.
1: He seems of some significant really high importance because the wine is brought to him.
0: Haman, he well, he'd be the one in making sure that the wine is taken care of. He'd be the steward of the of the feast. So. I mean, we're now getting into all kinds of steward language, which would be pastors and, yeah.
1: So this is the third day of a seven-day wedding feast.
0: This is the third, no. Well, hmm. Like. Yeah, no. <laughs>
1: so when does the actual ceremony take place? The
0: so, the, so, the so the wedding feast was about a seven-day feast, kind of. I mean, this is all kind of. It's like saying to us, everybody did this. Well, not everybody does it. But that generally, weddings took seven days. So, and, and when the actual nuptials and, and all that kind of stuff to, took place changes over time. But it's basically a week-long wedding feast. We don't know what day of the feast this is. Um, the third day is not a reference to the, the time of the wedding feast. Um, well, let's just do it now. So, third day... You guys are think I'm nuts when we're done with this. The third day. Let's just, let's just count the days. This is the only time the Gospel of John we're going to do this because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. But, so go back to John chapter 1, verse 19. That's the beginning of the actual story, right? 1 through 18 is an introduction. So 1 19 is day 1. Okay? See that? First day of the story, John 1, verse 19. Chapter 1, verse 19. That's the first day cuz that's when the story starts. Okay? John 129 is the next day. That's day 2. Okay, John 135. The next day. That's day 3. John 143 is next day. So that's day four. So now we have John 2, 1, the third day. So that's day three. six. Okay. One, two, three, four. And the third, you always count inclusively, so four, five, six. So this it's is the going sixth. It's
1: back to the third day instead of maybe it's going back to no. what happened on day three.
0: No. No, it's the third day from the sequence of set of days. And I'll show you why. Okay. The third day is the sixth day because this is the week of creation. And the exact same number of days will happen in John chapter 12 through 18. In which we will once again have a six day week. And what happens on the sixth day is when Jesus is lifted up as Messiah, and there will be wine, and there will be blood, and there will be the mother of Jesus there, right? Okay, and so what we have is this is the sixth day, which is the day of, this is the week of creation, which points ahead to his death. So this means this is parallel to Good Friday. And all the things that happen in this story of the wedding at Cana are told in such a way that you're supposed to be looking ahead to the cross and saying, oh, this is about the cross. So the only other place in the gospel that the mother of Jesus appears is in John chapter 19 at the cross here and at the cross
1: calls her woman both. And times.
0: he says the exact same thing to and her. And
1: that always bothered me yep. because it seems in, for Jesus to call his mother woman. Woman, you know, woman, you know. Just, you ain't like, my mom. Yeah, but it always You're just bothered a woman. Me. I know that's not
0: she's it's it's very upsetting. There are books written on this about how and matter of fact, texts change this. They they ignore it. They they just they can't they can't deal with it. There's so much in this text that has changed throughout the history of the church because they're like, ah Jesus can't create wine. Jesus can't call his mother a woman. All this kind of stuff. Um, But we got to read the text as it stands. And twice Jesus calls her a woman. Now, this is an important thing in the Gospel of John. You don't get into the kingdom because you're Jesus' mother or his brothers. John chapter 7. You don't get in because you're his brother either. You get in because you believe. Same is true for his mother. She doesn't have a special in. She too is saved by grace through faith. And this is important in the Gospel of John, that relations to Jesus are not physical relations. They are faith relations. You believe in Jesus. You don't claim some other way in. Right? So his brothers, they don't believe. So they're out. The disciples don't believe, and therefore they are out. It's only when they believe that they receive life. Okay? Same for the mother of Jesus. She's just a woman. So, why did the Old Testament spend so much time talking about being related to Abraham? Because that's the way it used to work. One greater than Abraham is here. And the game has changed. So the good news about Abraham is you could, you could say, well, I'm in because I can trace my blood lineage to Abraham. The bad news is not everyone can trace their blood lineage to Abraham. Now with this one, his blood is for all nations. It supersedes the blood of Abraham. So Galatians chapter 3, this is Paul's whole point, is that even when it was blood relation to Abraham, that was actually supposed to be for all nations. Well, now that the one who fulfilled the promises to Abraham has come, anyone who believes in him is now a child of Abraham. So faith in Christ now equals child of Abraham because he's the fulfillment of all the promises given to Abraham. That's Galatians chapter 3, okay? And if you're at the end of Galatians 3, that's actually what Paul says. So now all who have faith in Christ Jesus are sons of Abraham. Okay. Well, John is awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is, this, <coughs> is there a history this? How
0: wow. Well, well hmm. interesting how word you're using. How did it get to what point?
1: Well, you, you get from... Third day to the sixth day and then you get to creation, and then
0: you get to okay first that's a good question first of all this isn't weird this is how Jews were reading and writing texts at the time they wrote with all of this symbolism built into their their thinking when they said third day everyone oh third day you mean The day that that Moses went up to Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, it's the third day. You mean the day that, that Abraham sacrificed Isaac on Mount Moriah. It was the third day. Okay, so third day is already huge in their minds. Now we're going to add the resurrection of Jesus on the third day. So now third day continues to be huge in our minds. They also always did things based on the days of creation. Okay, even the Ten Commandments are given based on the days of creation the third day, right? The third commandment, you shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then it says, for in six days, God created the world and on the seventh day, he rested. rested. Now, of course, we know that those six days were, were billions of years. So what God actually says is, your week lasts billions of years long. Oh, no, wait, that doesn't make any sense. See, the, the Bible believes that creation took how long?
1: Six
0: days. What? How long were those days? Right now, Same length as our days are now. Right? That's the way the Bible is written. So when they talked about a number of days, they would have actually counted. They would have been counting these things, going, oh, one, two, three, four, plus three is six. This is the sixth day. That, it was normal. Okay? And John does this again in John chapter 20. Do you know what day the resurrection is in John chapter 20? Count inclusively. Four, five, six. Same with the resurrection on the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right? What day is the resurrection in John chapter 20?
1: Eighth.
0: The eighth day. Right? The eighth day. Which is the first day of the new creation. So, these, these, all these numbers, we think, oh, you're finding something weird. No, this is just the way that they wrote and thought. And, and a lot of these, these symbolic numbers were just natural. We do the same thing all the time in our writing and reading. We just have different metaphors. Okay. So like if you said, well, since 9-11, airport security is just annoying. Right, Al? Oh, no, I love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and a thousand years later, was like, what's this 9-11 thing? 9 plus 11 is 20, and so they had this duality of decades. and It's like, no, no, no. Everyone knows, without even explaining it, what 9-11 is. Except my daughters don't. They didn't see it. Right? They've only read about it in history books. So now we're, we're losing generations that go, oh yeah, I remember where I was. I remember what happened. I remember the day. I remember what I felt like. I remember what I thought. Right, And so the symbol gets, gets harder and harder to explain. But it doesn't mean we stop using it. And that's what's happening with all these symbols is that the original readers are going, yeah, that makes total sense. Wine, bridegroom, numbers. This was all just normal talk of how you talk about the kingdom of God. This is just how you talked about Messiah. Okay? So, number three, we've got to get to this. How does Jesus interact with his mother? We kind of already started into this. In verse four, he calls her woman. Okay? And it is very offensive to a lot of people that he, he doesn't say mom, he doesn't call her Mary, he doesn't say dear woman. A lot, a lot of translations say dear woman because they're trying to make it sound like he is, but he doesn't. He just calls her woman, like generic term for woman. This isn't, by the way, this isn't rude. This isn't like a slam. It's just kind of not very um, personal. Yeah. It's what you would call a female if you were being polite to them, but not necessarily you're friends with them. If you're just polite to a female, you would use this word woman.
1: So it'd be more cool, like
0: a ma'am or... Yeah, ma'am. Kind of, but not even that nice. <coughs> just kind of... Hey, you? Hey, woman. <laughs> I don't know. We don't really have that word right now. So I don't know. I'm always scared to, to use any words about women because you get in trouble. But But yeah, it was a generic term for female. It is not saying mom. That's the point. He doesn't call her mom or dear mom or Mary or the Blessed Virgin, something like that. He just calls her woman. Okay. And this is also important because, um, so let's just look at it. Let's go to John 19. John 19, verse 26 and 27. time
1: allowed to call
0: You know, I've never read anything that would go that direction with it, um, but you—I you mean, people called their mom "mom," or you know, the affectionate term for mom then. Um, yeah, they talked to each other using names. Yeah, they did. I'm like—I'm trying to think through anything that would pre- preclude that. I don't think so. I think that was—yeah, it was fine. So let's go to John 19, verses 26 27. When 27. This is on the cross, right? Jesus is on the cross dying. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, both unnamed in this gospel, right? Two unnamed characters. Very important. Two unnamed characters. John, the author of the gospel, is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And his mother, we know her name to be Mary. Neither of those names are ever used in this, in this gospel. Okay. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, exact same word, Behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took his to his own home. So, with this, this wedding at Cana and that incident are to be read together. The disciple whom Jesus loved is probably the unnamed disciple of John that follows with Andrew, and so he's present at the wedding feast of Cana. The woman, right, woman is his mother, which is also present. And we also have this, this phrase, which is the next question. My hour has not yet come, and whenever, so question number four, when is his time? He says, my hour has not yet come. Every time in the Gospel of John, when Jesus talks about his hour, it's always a reference to the cross. Always. Whenever Jesus says, my hour, it's always a reference to the cross. So he is saying to Mary, right, to his mother, he is talking about the cross. That the fulfillment of his, of his job as Messiah is going to be on the cross. Okay, and the reason this is so important is because this actually shapes the way that you read the rest of the story. The whole water into wine miracle is the cross. It is getting us to the cross. And that's how we should read it. Okay? Is
1: it significant to have three
0: Marys at the cross? Yeah, we're gonna get to the people at the cross when we get there. There's there's how many people at the cross? yeah there's three mary's there's John Centurion five there's a lot of five people going around the gospel of John you'll find that out there's a lot of fives five is a very significant number in the gospel of John um, there's yeah there's five books of the Torah right five pillars all kinds of fives so why does jesus i know he's the oldest he yep. has brothers and sisters. Right? Uh-huh. Why does he decide that this disciple should take care of?: his mother? Because this disciple is a Christian. His brothers aren't. So this is now the church. So Jesus is actually giving the church to the apostles, and we'll get there when we get there. But, but um, this is not just saying, "Hey, Mary, you're desolate because I'm dying, someone's going to take care of you, because he has brothers, earthly brothers to do that, right? Well, whatever that word brother means, I won't freak out. But um, earthly brothers could take care of Mary. He has brothers, right? Or he has guys that live with Mary, right, that are his brothers. That's not the point. The point is that they're not Christians. John is a Christian. So he's entrusting his mother. Again, we have this whole, the important relationship is not your physical bloodline. The important relationship is in Christ, It's a new idea of family. It's a new idea of Israel. It's a new idea of God. Is that children of God are through Christ. Brothers and sisters are in Christ. Israel is now in Christ. Does that make sense? So he gives his mother Mary to a Christian. His brother in Christ. Yeah, we'll get there. Alright, so his time is actually on the cross. Not at a wedding in Cana. Not All the miracles, remember, all the things in the Gospel of John are simply signs and signs are things that point ahead to the reality. The reality is the cross. So all the things in the Gospel of John are getting us to the cross. Once we get to the cross and the resurrection, then we have to go back and reread the entire gospel and say, oh, that's what this was about. So every single story in the Gospel of John, you need to read about the cross and the resurrection and say, oh, that's what this is about. John will actually do it for us in the next story. He will actually say, when Jesus said this, he meant this, which only made sense after the resurrection. So in John chapter 2, after the wedding at Cana, Jesus will say, destroy this temple and raise it up in three days. And they go, that doesn't make any sense. Until after his resurrection, they went, oh, the temple you're talking about was your body. See, it only makes sense once you understand the death and resurrection of Jesus. One scholar said this about the Gospel of John. More than any other book in the Bible, this book is meant to be read over and over and over and over and over because you have to know the end in order to understand the beginning. And you have to know the beginning in order to know the end. And you have to know all the middle parts to get it all worked together. So this Gospel is written to be read over and over and over and over so that when you're reading it the second time, you know how it ends, which makes it make sense so now, when he says this, you're like, oh, because he's going to die on a cross. And we got wine and blood and purification and all kind of stuff. Okay? So, number five. How does Jesus' mother show her faith in Jesus? She says, uh, do what this man tells you. Yeah, do whatever he tells you. Right? He just said, what does this have to do with us? My time is how you come. And she goes, yeah, do whatever he tells you. Right? That's great, isn't it? That's faith. Yeah, this is a big issue. Um, so a lot of people believe that Mary would have been um, an honored guest at this wedding, or somehow tied to the the family because she's kind of ordering the servants around. And why would Jesus care? I mean, why would Jesus be the one who cares about how much wine they have? So there's a lot we don't know, but there's a lot of the scholars that speculate that Mary was somehow tied to the family or was a was. The other side of the coin is there's a fairly good idea that, that Mary was honored already at this time of being the mother of Jesus and the aunt, as it were, of John the Baptist. So she already had a prominence in this little community. Remember, Nazareth is not exactly a big city. <laughs> Nazareth is a small town and the community in the surrounding areas were all small towns. So, Everyone knew everyone's business. So when you're a virgin giving birth to a special child, the word got around, right? <clears throat> Shepherds came, magi came. This kid was given gold, frankincense, and myrrh at his birth. Angels announced his birth. He went to Egypt for a time and came back. He's never sinned in his life. Word gets around. Did anything good come out of Anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> and that's the point. It's, no, it's a backwards, nowhere, nothing town full of blue-collar workers. That's why Nathaniel's saying that. He's like, you don't get a prophet from Nazareth. There's nothing there.
1: Since we see Mary's sister listed as standing before the cross, it's both yeah. that it's his
0: sisters, yeah. sister's... Yeah, I mean, Mary's sister... It's a guess. You know. It's a guess. We, we don't know. This is the issue. Is we, it, A lot of this isn't explained. You're kind of like, I don't know. It probably is her actual sister. And the other problem is or in the got in the wedding. Yeah, it could be a sister wedding. And some people do think that this is a family wedding for Mary, which it could be. We don't know. All right. So, number 6. What do the servants of the bridegroom do? They do what Jesus tells them to do. The servants of the groom does what Jesus says to do. This is very important. So, you are servants of the groom. What should you do? What Jesus tells them to do. What do the disciples do in chapter 1? They do what Jesus tells them to do, right? Come and see. So what do they do? They come and see. Then he says, follow me. What do they do? They follow That's what disciples do, right? This is what servants of the bridegroom do, is they do what Jesus says. Do they actually perform the miracles? No. No, Jesus does that. They just do what they're told. Right? Does it make sense? No. No servant would take dirty water from a purification jar and serve it as the honored drink at a wedding feast. You'll get fired. Here's dirty water. Drink it as a celebration drink at your wedding. I don't think so. Right? They're just doing what Jesus says. Do you ever do that? Take and drink. This is my blood. And he goes, No, it's not. How can you believe such things? Because Jesus said so. Well, you go to church and you believe that just because you believe in this man named Jesus, you'll live forever and you can defeat death. That's just silly. Why would you believe such things? Because Jesus said so. Well, what does it matter about him? Why, but he's the Christ, the Son of God. That's who he is. He's the one that conquers death. Right? So, we're, so we continue to say that, that when we read through the story, now, let's be clear. This actually happened, right? This is a historical event. Jesus actually one day turned water into wine. This all actually happened. What I'm showing you is the way the Gospel of John shapes stories to tell a bigger story. And that's exactly what he says is these things that Jesus actually did are signs of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, they actually physically happened, right? This is a historical miracle. There was a day he went to a wedding and turned water into wine. It actually happened. But the way John tells the story, the language he uses, the terms he uses, the things he doesn't say, they're all told in a way to draw, draw us to the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay. Questions or thoughts? You guys okay? You seem tired and cold. And...
1: Is, is calling her woman a defining point where he's the one going to the cross, taking care of her now? She's been taking care of him in the past. Yeah. So yeah. Using that term of endearment.
0: Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of people who see this as the end of things and the beginning of something different.
1: Leaving father and mother.
0: Right. So now, and there are, there are actually are commentators who will say that, that this is him saying, you're not my mom anymore. I'm now your savior. It's changed, right? This is the beginning of his public ministry. So the other thing we should say before we get too far um, is that this is only in John. This miracle is only in John. And part of the reason is, is because John concentrates on the time of Jesus before the arrest of John the Baptist. Whereas the Synoptic Gospels really concentrate on the time of Jesus after the arrest of John the Baptist. Okay? And that actually changes the events and the public ministry of Jesus. The public ministry of Jesus and John is actually quite private. Like, this isn't actually happening in front of a bunch of people. This is just those who are there. Right? And who knows what happens? Who, who in this story actually knows what happens in the miracle? The servants. They're the only ones. They're the only ones who actually walk to water jars full of water, and when they draw it out, it becomes wine. They're the only ones who see it. Right? So the disciples believe it, but they didn't even see it necessarily. So, so there's a bunch of changing in this story. Okay? We've got to get going because it's time for confirmation and stuff. So, um, yeah, we'll continue this next week. Well, it's Easter. Don't we still have Bible class on Easter? I
1: think
0: so. I think we do. Let's do that. We'll still have Bible class. I, know. I know, we usually do it after breakfast. Isn't there time after breakfast? We've done it before. Yeah. So we'll do something. Even if it's not a whole hour, we'll do something. We'll try to finish the story. It's an easter story. All right, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, let us live our whole lives under the cross of our Savior Jesus Christ. For there we know that we are loved by our God, that our sins are forgiven, and that eternal life is ours because of Jesus. Lord, teach us to live in the joy of forgiveness and let us learn to love our neighbors as we have been loved by you. Bless us now this day and especially pray for our confirmands that you would keep them always in the one true faith, that they might live their lives under the cross of Christ. And as we remember our confirmations, we might too Live our lives wholly committed to you. Bless us now this day in Jesus' name. Thank you all.